0: everybody welcome back to d and j's epic quest i am justin and joining me as always my co-anchor my the rock
1: is (laughs) thanks for all uh synonyms the right word i don't even know i'm so bad at that stuff i'm just trying to like Um,
0: not make it the same fucking intro (laughs) the whole time add some like I don't know. Flare. Yeah. flare. Thank you. I'll take it. Flare. You two. need
1: 37 pieces of flare, or you're getting fired. Right. Yes. <laughs> this is Derek Cronus. I'm sticking with that for now. I like it.
0: I thought I mulled over, um, you know, we, we get some, introduce some characters that I wouldn't say we're familiar with, but we know of um, putting in my name as uh, Jocelyn. Jus- But that doesn't sound right. You could be Lady Gen V. I could, except
1: I'm not a Gen. I know. I just put a J in front of Envy, that's all.
0: Yeah, I know, I know. So I'm sure something will come up.
1: I just happened to get lucky that, uh, oh, God, do I want to say this? There was a D there right away early.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You said it anyway, and I (laughs) I caught it. It's the (laughs) little things, right?
1: yeah yeah there you go <laughs>
0: well, some comedic some value there
1: for, but. yeah,
0: cool well uh, I guess how you been it's been a week
1: um, g- good and I guess not great at the same time um, this last weekend I got to kind of kick off my hockey season which was fun played in a tournament It's my third year playing in it my dad plays in it too we've never been on the same team Um, there's some other other uh players that have family members and like we're not the only ones who have never been on the same team. They just seem to split up family members onto different teams, but this was the first year that we didn't play each other. Um, but there's six teams. You play three games, so it's not like you know, there's a winner's bracket and losers bracket. It's just a win is worth two points, a loss is nothing, tie is one. So we went undefeated on the weekend. We went two oh and one. Um Another team went three and zero, so we got second place. But it was a lot of fun yesterday. It's kind of a rough day. We had to put down Kelly's dad's dog. Um, Kelly's dad died a little over a year ago, and um, the dog's been with her stepmom, and she's moving into assisted living later this week. And we just didn't have any other options, and so he he went he went down. Um, about an hour ago this time yesterday. So it's just, it was pretty sad. Luckily we were able to do it at home. We didn't have to bring him to the vet. So he's all scared and everything, but, uh, sure. it was definitely rough. It's It sucked a lot. I, I still feel really guilty about it, but I, I don't know. It sucks. I mean, <laughs> that's all it, I can say.
0: Yeah. It always does suck. We're, you know, we're in a similar boat with actually two of our animals. We have a dog that's 14 years old and clearly has cancer in the mouth and uh but you know she's still eating and she's still drinking so we're just... she
1: was such a sweetheart when i got to meet her though
0: yeah it's hard it's hard to make that call though it really is but then we also have a cat um that is has been being blood so he's got some crystals of some kind so depending on did how i meet that
1: cat Jack, or is that one that him
0: yeah the black the tuxedo one okay Tuxu. Oh, that
1: sucks. That's not any fun. Yeah. So. I feel for you. So, tonight, everybody's looking at this, the dog's name was Kuro, which is like, apparently black in Japanese, as far as I know, and I'm drinking a black lager. So, this one's for you, Kuro. Cheers. Sorry I had to go through that, dude. There's, like I said, it's a bummer, but there's a, a lot of good coming out of the situation, too, so it's hard to look past that. Um... I'm not an overly religious person by any means, but I kind of choose to believe that he's with Kelly's dad now. So
0: right, they're playing ball with each other. Yep, playing catch.
1: How about you? Uh, How has your week gone?
0: Um, it you know it's been a little rougher. Uh, school started up for us today, so I've just been handling small fires over and over again. So, but oh, they already started, huh? Yeah, they usually start a week before Labor Day. Is that including your kids also? No, they start or just the high school kids. Just the high school kids at my work. Gotcha. Yeah, but
1: I'll have a freshman on Tuesday, um, next Tuesday. So, <laughs> yeah, that'll be wild. And then the other will be eighth grade on Thursday. So, high school starts two days before. Getting up there, sir.
0: What are you going to do with all that time off once they graduate? No idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would imagine by that time, we'll probably be finishing up the... We'll be close to finishing up the Books of the Fallen. Yeah, I don't know where we'll be at. Somewhere in the, the thick of it. Watch it. We're probably going to be only at on Midnight Tides.
1: <laughs> <laughs> in, in another four years? I don't think so. <laughs> no.
0: But, all right. Well, uh... How about we end the depressing banter and hit right into Chapter One of Memories of Ice here?
1: Yeah, I'm sure this will be a very delightful and cheery book um uh, with no sadness at all
0: <laughs> right, yeah
1: exactly. so I didn't really get uh from too much of that in this first chapter. I don't think so
0: I mean there was there was a lot of things to pick out, some you know some of it was recap, but um. Yeah, I guess we'll get to there when we get there. Sounds good. All right. But, you know, before we get started in today's episode, we'd like to take a moment to thank and recognize Silverstone's books. Please check out their website, silverstonesbooks.com, where they have a large selection of fantasy, sci-fi, and horror books with the option of many signed copies at very reasonable prices. The store carries a large number of indie authors, so help us help them in supporting self-published authors. Also, they've been gracious enough to give us a promo code for 10% off your next order. That code is DJQuest. So check out their site and pick up a book and save a little cash while supporting some indie authors.
1: Yeah, um, and also last night, I think I think it was last night, um, they started a like end-of-summer sale on science fiction books. Um, that was, so science fiction books, I believe are 25% off. I don't imagine that coupon would stack with ours. Um, I guess I don't know how long that's going on for. So by the time you hear this, that, that summer sale may be over already. Um, or it might not, I'm not sure. Um, but just throwing that out there. Sure. Absolutely. And, oh shit, Justin, we suck. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Our patrons, in order of subscription, we have Jan the Picker of Pies, Luciana Etrigan, Ryan the Topological, Damian the Rock of Faces, Nate Fiddle Me This, Shield Anvil Dylan, Quartermaster, Master Sergeant Lieutenant Parker, and uh, we also have a new patron now, David. Um, Forgot to update our list, um, but I remembered when I saw the list, I was like, oh shit. So, David, welcome aboard. Thanks for joining us here. Um, excited to have you and and hope you're enjoying things. Um also our one of our other patrons, Nate, um, he has started his own podcast um with one of his friends. It's called the Podcast of the Fallen. Um, you can find them probably anywhere you find us as well. So check them out. I've not listened to their most current episode yet, but they're covering things at a little quicker pace than we are. Um, I I don't know if he has a Twitter set up yet. Um, so I don't know where you can find him as far as socials go, but uh, all the usual places you can find him as far as his content. That's awesome. That is absolutely superb. Yeah, it's exciting. And uh, it was, it's fun. They're uh, they're just about done with Gardens of the Moon already. Um, I think for the most part, they're kind of covering like a sub book. Each episode is how it seems to be. Gotcha. Um,
0: So kind of like a 10 very big books, right? Didn't they do each sub book at first?
1: Um, I don't remember, I guess. I've only, I listened to their Deadhouse Gate stuff right after we finished, and I don't remember if that's how it was set up or not.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Nate, um, or fiddle me this, congratulations. I hope, uh, the podcast is going well, and, uh, hopefully we can collaborate sometime.
1: Definitely. Um, since i was too lazy to type out the epigraph for this subbook, would you like me to read it <laughs> or do you have your book handy and do you want to read it yeah i've got my book handy i'd be happy to read it sure sure and then i'll take the other one and then just roll right into the first section here
0: yeah five mages and adjunct countless imperial demons and the debacle that was jeruja all served to publicly justify the outlawry proclaimed by the empress on Dujek One-Arm and his battered legions. That, this freed One-Arm and his host to launch a new campaign, this time as an independent military force to fashion his own unholy alliances, which were destined to result in a continuation of the dreadful sorcery and F- the lalde on Genabacus, is one, might argue, incidental. Granted, the countless victims of that devastating time might, should Hood grant them the privilege, voice, an entirely different opinion. Perhaps the most poetic detail of what would come to be called the Panion Wars was, in fact, a precursor to the entire campaign. The casual, indifferent destruction of a lone stone bridge by the Jaghut tyrant on this ill-fated march to Jerusalem imperial campaigns the panian war 1194 to 1195 volume four ganivakis imgrin
1: Taliban. that's nice right ma'am. yeah it made me like like why would uh, the destruction of a bridge play such an uh a significant role but i guess we'll find that out as we go here absolutely all right our epigraph for the chapter here Memories are woven tapestries hiding hard walls. Tell me, my friends, what hue your, your favorite thread, and I in turn will tell the cast of your soul. Life of dreams, bears the Hag. 1164th year of burned sleep, two months after the Derujistan Fet. fourth year of the Panian Doman, Telan year of the second gathering. All right. Here we go. The bridge's gudrobi limestone blocks were scattered and broken in the bank. It looked as though a god had swatted and smashed the bridge in a gesture of contempt. Gruntel thought this was only a half step from the truth. The news made its way back to Derujistan to less than a week after it had been destroyed. Shortly after the first caravans had reached it and found it wrecked. Rumors spread of an ancient demon unleashed by the Malazans with, with the intent of destruction of Darujistan. Gruntle spat in the grass along the wagons. He had his doubts about the stories, even though things had been odd the night of the fete a couple months back. And despite the fact that he was hammered and wouldn't have remembered anyways, there had been enough credible witnesses for the sightings of dragons, demons, and the terrifying descent of Moonspawn to be believed. Though if any conjuring with the power to rip apart an entire countryside had reached the city, and since the city had not been reduced to a pile of rubble, or no worse, for the wear of a citywide celebration, clearly nothing had happened. Though the gadrobi Hills were not particularly restless, it could have been an earthquake. Perhaps Byrne had shifted in her eternal slumber. In any case, the truth was now truth before him, or rather did not stand but lay scattered to Hood's Gate and beyond. The fact remained that whatever games the gods played at, it was dirt-poor, hard-working bastards like him that paid the price in the end. The old Ford, 30 paces up the river, was back in use, and it hadn't been used in centuries, and with the unseasonable rains, it turned the bank into a muddy mess. Wagon after wagon crowded the crossing while more waited out on the trails, while the temper of the wagon drivers, merchants and guards, had their tempers tested. For two days now, they waited to cross. Harlow had waited out to what was left of the bridge to fish. Stani... Stoney, I guess I'm not sure which way you said that. I'll go with Stoney. Manacus had led the group to a wagon, selling ale at extortion-level prices. They were supposed to go to an inn just out of Salton, but that was tough shit for the innkeeper. If things continued on as they were, soon there would be a market here, then a town. At which point, some official from Darujistan would come and decide it was a good time to rebuild the bridge, which would take another decade or so. Or, if the town became a concern, they'd just send a tax collector. News from the other side of the river was that the merchant, Manqui, had burst a blood vessel on his head and keeled over dead, which was apparently more typical for merchants. However, his merchant, Master Curley, seemed to be different, and it even threatened his general disgust with merchants. Though, Curuli had enough oddities about him that Gruntel even wondered if he was a merchant. None of that really mattered though, because coin was coin, and Karuli paid better than most. Hell, he could be Prince Arard for all he really cared. A man shouted at him, breaking him from his daydreams. Gruntel shouted back, saying he was either the worst merchant in the world or a poor man's servant. The man replied that he was a manservant, and his name was Emancipore Reese, and that his masters were not poor, but they had been on the road for a very long time. Gruntel said he believed him as he didn't recognize his accent. Which was a feat in itself and wanted to know what he wanted. Reese said his masters wanted to talk to him and they were not camped far away. Gruntel said he would need to check with his master. Reese said that was fine, and to relay the message that they were not trying to steal him away from his current employer. Karuli told him to go and as he was curious about the man's two masters and to keep his eyes and ears open. Karuli told Gruntel on his way back to grab Stoney as she's had too much to drink and was becoming argumentative. Gruntel said it might be best if he gets her now, then, before she stabs someone. Cruelly said to send Harlow, then. Gruntel said that would, he would probably just join in. Cruelly said he spoke highly of both of them. What gives? Gruntel said the three of them working together was just as good as double that number when it comes to protecting a master and his merch. That's why they're so expensive. Curly said that was true, and told him to inform his co-workers if there were no disturbances, there would be bonuses. Harlow was already on his way back with a small fish and a proud smile. Gruntel said it was a sorry excuse for a fish. He could inhale it up one nostril. Harlow said they could have fish-flavored soup. Gruntel said, great, mud-flavored soup. He would pass. He told Harlow Stoney was getting drunk. Harlow said he didn't hear any fighting. Gruntel said as long as it stayed that way, there would be bonuses. He watched Harlow run off with his arms that were too big for his body. He turned to Reese and told him to lead on.
0: Nice little introductory section, right?
1: Yeah. um, I didn't really have, I didn't have any notes kind of to talk about this just because it was, it's just kind of giving you the picture. I mean, it's an area we're already vaguely familiar with. Um, Maybe not, you know, the specific creek side or riverside or whatever you want to call it, but. I mean, we've been in this area before, um, and now we've just got this, this new guy gruntle, um, which is kind of a fun name. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is he just like grumpy and shit? I don't know. Um, I did, I have, I have liked him so far. Um, and then emancipore Reese, um, I'm wondering like, do you have a head cannon for him yet? Uh, Maybe not necessarily just f- through this first section, but after reading this first chapter, and I don't know how big of a role he's going to have in the rest of this book. I would guess probably not huge, but I have like a headcanon for like who I, I visualize. And I'm just wondering if we're kind of on the same page. If you had something,
0: I mean, I'm getting pussed like vibes. If that's where you're going. Um,
1: not just at all for like me. No older kind of balding. Yes. Like, yes and yes on that. Yes. I love
0: those. Long white like long thinning white hair. And then he's got like the bald spot on top and then just the hair at the back. You know, that's kind of what I imagined, I guess.
1: So what I what I um in reading this chapter and his dialogue, I think it was probably the second time I read this chapter, it just clicked in my head. Um, but I was like, it's fucking Michael Caine as Alfred from Batman. Like, <laughs> this is, this is who I'm hearing. like it's and it just makes sense to me.
0: Gotcha so, I okay. I can see that. I can see that. That might become my new head Canon. yeah <laughs> yep, so that makes sense. Um, one of the things that I picked out was you know, when Gruntel was kind of I don't know if it was just inner monologue or just you know he wasn't really saying anything he wasn't really thinking anything. But it was said that perhaps Burn had a shifted in her eternal slumber, and, you know, I think that, you know, this kind of gives away who Burn is, and being that we get a lot of this whole Burn's sleep thing, and I think it's supposed to represent, like, what would be our Mother Earth, you know, and, you know at first I kind of went along with the whole BS or bullshit thing based on a lot of the conversing that we had with, you know, Mr. Erickson, I'm kind of skeptical about him even saying that now. Um, Or even if he has that mentality, even in the slightest bit, because his whole premise is history and uncovering the past. And, you know, I, I feel like timelines are somewhat, if not, Pretty related to those themes, so I don't know why he would be so nonchalant about timelines. But anyway, um, I think that burn sleep represents the time that the Earth stopped forming, like a representation of the Earth forming before life began, sort of thing. You know what I mean? So, I think that's what he means by burn sleep. But again. I don't watch his interviews because I don't want anything spoiled. So I really could be way off. I'm just going on based upon kind of my interpretation of his writing and, and you know, what little we know based on our conversation with him.
1: Right. Um, sorry. I, I'm listening to you. I'm just kind of like, I've just noticed in my document here that I don't have even any of your comments that you made. I cannot see them and I don't know
0: why. Interesting. Well, then I guess that it'll be a surprise.
1: Yeah. um, I don't think I had any when I was writing this on either of my sections. I did have one. One. And I, I mean, I remember what it is for the most part, but I don't know what the hell happened. Anyways, I guess I will just deal with it, and like you said, it'll be a surprise. That's fine.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. So, yeah, I guess that's just kind of like my thought on the whole burn sleep thing. I think that you know, it, it represents some type of point in time when the, earth, when the earth stopped forming or when this land stopped doing something, you know. I think that makes sense. But um, what did you think of the, the bridge? No, I think it's interesting that Jerujistan isn't rebuilding it. And Gruntel is sitting here being all like, well, if this continues, because clearly, you know, things are at a, at a standstill right? Like these merchants can't, freaking close. can't get into Virujistan because of the bridge. So it's one of those things where how are people getting their goods? Are they coming out and just like swimming across to buy what they need to buy or, you know, and he even mentions it himself that like if it keeps up, we're going to end up with our own damn town here.
1: Yeah, I, I wonder how it's going to affect things later on. Um, I guess when I was reading this, I'd, it was more from the I guess the bigger struggle was the merchants leaving Darujistan to go out into the rest of the world. Um, not necessarily so much as them coming in, though. I mean, that will play a role also, I'm sure. But yeah, it sounds like this—the crossing is a mess. Uh, they've had a lot of rain, and so the it's a, a muddy hill to try and climb up out of with the, your wagon. And uh, so I don't know if they're just waiting for it to dry out a little bit and the water to go down, but. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't sound like fun.
0: No, not at all. Um, yeah, I guess that works both. I didn't even think of the other way. Like, people can't get out
1: either. So,
0: there we go. Or they
1: gotta go, like, a really long way around or something.
0: Yeah. I guess, do you remember, or do you recall in Gardens of the Moon, uh, Reist smashing this bridge?
1: I feel like I vaguely do. I feel like I, like I remember... I guess I don't remember even who it was specifically, but some of the characters like arriving at the bridge and crossing it. Um so I'm assuming it's that bridge. Um I feel like I remember race destroying it. Yeah. But I maybe feel. it's just because I'm being told he did, you know. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's okay. I'm a little disappointed. I didn't get a chance to read guard Gardens of the Moon before delving into memories of ice, so I'm always like, did that happen? I'm just going to assume it did, you know? And then if I reread it, I'll be like, oh, okay. That wasn't in there. Cool. Good to know.
1: <laughs> that would have been, uh, I mean, I guess I, I'm sure you could have done it, but I feel like that would have been a pretty big undertaking to reread Gardens. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. If I just went through
0: like 100 pages a night or something, which is pretty dense for that book,
1: but yeah,
0: I'd be done in like a week. But also, when I was reading Wheel of Time, it would take me about maybe nine days to a week to two weeks to read a book. So
1: I don't. Yeah, I I don't know. It's. I mean, I'm. I don't know if I could read a hundred pages like in a night. Um, I feel like that would be tough for me. Yeah, that's just me though. Fair
0: enough. Well, but uh, I guess yeah, I didn't have much for the section either. But, You know, it just it felt really kind of like establishing establishing any, you know, things and setting up characters and the beginning of a book.
1: (laughs) Yep. Yeah. I feel like Harlow's like donkey Kong, you know, like he's just got these arms that are too big for his like smaller body, like random. Sorry. No, no, that's
0: fine. (laughs) I, you know, I think Gruntel's comments about the fish that he caught was pretty funny. And, um, there's a lot there's a lot of, of really subtle humor in here that's that's made me giggle quite a bit in this chapter. So when we get there, we'll, we'll have to talk about that.
1: Yeah, and even in just this first section where he's like, yeah, I could suck that thing up my nose and I'm like, oh, mud flavored soup, not eating it.
0: right. yeah, exactly. But hey, um, I'm cool and moving on if you are. Absolutely. All right. The carriage was massive, a house on wheels. Four oxen grazed about in a corral ten paces downwind from the camp. Privacy obviously mattered to the manservant's masters. A mangy cat watched as Reese and Gruntle approached. Gruntle asks Reese if that was his cat. Emancipator Reese said that it was. Gruntle replied that any wax witch or alchemist could treat the mange on that cat. The manservant seemed uncomfortable and said that he'd be sure to look into it. Reese nodded towards the hills and announced to Gruntel that Master Bauchelin was headed their direction. Gruntel turned and studied the man. Bauchelin spoke in a soft voice and greeted Gruntel by saying that even though they are aware of his employer's prying, and while they don't typically reward the spying, in this case he'll make an exception, and Gruntel shall accompany him. Bauschelin... St- tells his manservant that his cat is suffering palpitations, and that he should comfort the cat. Gruntel rested his hands on the pommel of his sword, eyes thinning as he looked at Bachelin. Bachelin is heard saying, Well, Captain. Gruntel made no move, though. Bachelin assures Gruntel that his employer is eager that he comply with the request. However, if the captain was too chicken shit, he could ask his employer to hold his hand for the duration of the adventure. Gruntel asked if Bachelain ever fished. Bachelain questioned this, and Gruntel went on explaining that the ones that rise up to any old bait are young and don't ever get older, and if Bachelain wants a rise, then he best fish elsewhere. Bachelain's smile was dry and said that the captain reassured him, and shall they proceed? Gruntel told him to lead on. Along the way, the two have a conversation about various things, ranging from the dead grass, from the fire that burned these lands, to the captain's education, which made Gruntel stand out amongst the other caravanserai, as he was one to use his brain. They rounded a battered hillside and came to the edge of a fresh crater. Gruntel saw that a man sat at the edge of this large crater. He rose and turned to them. Boshelaine introduces Grunzel to his partner, Corbel Brooch. Boshelaine had triggered unease in Grunzel, but seeing Corbel sent ripples of fear down his spine. The feeling was purely instinctual, as if Boshelaine and Corbel emanated some type of tainted aura. He muttered under his breath that no wonder the cat had palpitations. He pulled his gaze from Brooch and studied the crater. Boshalane moved to stand next to him and asked if the captain understood what he was seeing. Captain said that he was no fool and that it was a hole in the ground. Boshalane said that he was amusing and then goes on to explain that it was a barrow and within it was a chained jacquard. Gruntel was caught up on the word was and voiced it aloud. Boshalane explained that the Malzahn Empire meddled in a league with the Talani Mass They succeeded in freeing the creature, or so he gathered. Gruntel asked if Boshelain believed the tales and if the Jagat was released, what in Hood's name happened to it. Boshelain explained that they wondered the same. They are strangers to this continent, and until recently, they have never heard of the Malazan Empire or the city of Jerujistan. During their brief stay there, they heard stories of the events that had just passed. Dragons, demons, and assassins. The Azath house named the Finnist, which cannot be entered, but seems to be occupied already. He explains to Gruntel that they paid it a visit. Moreover, they heard tales of the floating city that was Moonspawn that had floated over Darujstan. Gruntel explains that he saw it with his own eyes, not a day's past. Boshalane sighed and guessed that they had just missed it. He states that he gathers that Atist-Andi lord rules Moonspawn. Gruntel simply replied that he didn't like gossip. After a hardened stare from Bachelain, Gruntel asks if the hole was all they wanted to show him. Bachelain raised an eyebrow and said showing him the barrel was not precisely the reason for bringing him here, and they wanted to go down into the barrel. Gruntel blesses them with Opan's luck and then turns away. Bachelain says that his employer would urge him to accompany them. They converse a few more lines to each other before Gruntel swung around again to head back towards the trail. Gruntel stopped and said that if they wanted to see Moonspawn, then now was their chance. Both Boshelaine and Corbel walked in his direction and now stood on each side of him. The two talk about Moonspawn and its potential direction, to which Boshelaine equates this to Moonspawn's Tilt. Gruntel explained that this actually happened because of the mages at the Battle of Pale. Corbel now spoke and asked his partner if he thinks the lord has sensed them. Bachelain frowned and said that this should be a conversation left for when they were in private. Corbel said very well and then asked if his partner wanted to kill this captain. Gruntel stepped back and at the ready with his sword half drawn. Bachelain assures the captain that his partner has simple notions. Gruntel didn't believe it and made a comment to that extent. Scowling, he walked away back towards the trail. Under his breath, he whispered to his employer that he thinks his bonus was well-earned today. Moments later, he moved beyond sight of the crater and saw that Boshelaine and Corbel had their backs turned to him. He watched as they entered the hole. Sighing, Gruntel swung around again and made his way back towards camp. As he reached the road, he looked towards or he gazed towards Moonspawn and under his breath spoke to the Lord of Moonspawn, hoping that he did indeed sense Bachelain and Corvo Broach's presence. Walking down the road, he saw Reese petting the cat inside the captain's head, considering the cat didn't have mage
1: at all. Well, who the fuck are these two guys? You don't know? Um, I was thinking about this as you were talking reading this section, because where the hell are they from if they haven't even heard of the Malazan Empire? Because they seem to be pretty big. Or, I mean, I know we know there's a handful of continents on this planet, so maybe it's just even bigger than we realize. And then I'm like, I, w- I wonder if there's fucking, like, time travel. I mean, in because,
0: the epilogue, they they brought down a foreign god, so maybe.
1: Yeah, I'm just like, this is gonna be so stupid it's gonna be super far like left field this is <laughs> this is well beyond your left field Justin <laughs> but I'm, I'm I'm sitting here thinking about it like what if it's cotillion and a like when they were younger or something I don't fucking know I mean this is two months after the
0: fete so I don't think that it would be a manis or cotillion
1: but if it was a younger version of themselves from some other period of time I, I don't know like I said, it was way the fuck out there, but because one of the guys, one of the guys is described as like tall and skinnyish, and the other one's described as like, I mean, he at least said he had a round face, I guess. That doesn't mean he's fat, I guess, by any means. Um, I was like, oh, that would be pretty crazy. And I like, oh, well, that's just sounds stupid. Um, yeah. I don't know who the hell these guys are, but they're interesting. So their names aren't ringing any type of bells.
0: Even though you've bought books about them,
1: well, I know we, there's the, the the novellas are like stories about them, which I assume would take place before where we're at now, is what I would assume their adventures. And I guess maybe some of them take place after too, but I don't. So know. what
0: what I understood was that Blood follows um, is should technically chronologically be read before Memories of Ice. So that will probably give us some backstory. I would imagine when we get to that next, but
1: I guess to answer your question, yes, I did recognize their names from these other books. I didn't know that's what you're going for. Gotcha. Um, I yes, thought that I, you, I
0: these guys were like completely like new to you. And I'm like, wait a minute,
1: dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But I, I mean, it doesn't really tell me who they are though. Like, no, well, no,
0: I always get the feeling that they're like, like traveling alchemists or something like that, even though that's probably well, not right. But that's like the feeling I get, you know, they're like, they're collecting and investigating like oddities is kind of the, the, the headcanon I have around them.
1: You think they're like fucking circus ringmasters or something? Like they've just got like, yeah, the, the, they're going to get Harlow and he's going to be their strong man or something. With his ape arms. They're looking for their woman with a mustache, bearded lady. I don't I don't know.
0: I mean it very well could be. Yeah. Um I don't know if I would go. I think that's still a little on the left
1: side of the field. Mm -hmm. I'm just having fun with it, man. (laughs) Just just leaning hard into it.
0: Yeah, you know, go nuts, man, right? But yeah, I I don't know. I thought it was cool that they, you know, got introduced and I'm like, okay. I knew that they were introduced in this book. I just didn't know when. Um, so it was kind of cool that the first chapter introduces them. So I would only imagine that they get caught up in whatever is going on here. So
1: yeah. They must have some like magical abilities if they're, you know, asking if they got, excuse me, if, you know, if he's wondering if Anna Amanda Rake sensed them for Moonspawn. Um, right.
0: I was thinking the same thing. Um, I guess what I really enjoyed throughout the section, Gruntle and Boshalane's, uh like, banter between each other. And especially with the whole fish thing. And Gruntle explains that, you know, that any old bait are young enough, don't ever get older. And um, he definitely didn't take any of Bachelain's tricks or manipulation here and i guess i'm just curious to see if this gruntal character sticks till the end of the book
1: you know yeah well have to see i mean he seems like he seems like he's got the makings of a, a mainstay
0: yeah i mean that's just the initial impression that i got i mean i i thought that about culp too but you know where did that end up him so dead yep dead
1: well we know we know not everybody dies oh. that's true
0: that's true but also what did erickson tell us in the interview
1: A lot of things. I guess I don't remember what you're talking about specifically now.
0: I think that he said that uh, he ended up killing off a lot of people.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember he said, I didn't kill everybody. Right. Yep. Exactly. So... That's reassuring. I guess
0: we'll just have to see how that goes. But also kind of going on to the whole you know, they must be emanating some something, some type of magical energy because Gruntle was, you know, kind of uneased by bachelin here but even more so when he finally meets corbel brooch and i wonder i wonder why gruntel is getting a bad feeling from them because me as i'm reading this as a reader i'm not getting that sense or it's just potentially it's because you know things haven't been revealed yet about these two characters but um i don't know how did you feel did you get the sense of unease as you were reading this chapter or these sections? Uh,
1: I did not, I did not understand his feelings towards them. Gotcha.
0: He just seems like very anxious and nervous about, about them. So he's picking up on something, which that I can agree to. I just don't see. I I don't, I guess I can't empathize with his unease about them because I'm not Not getting that
1: vibe from him. Maybe it's just, Uh, I mean, since he knows they're from not around there, maybe that makes him uneasy. He doesn't know how to predict how they might react, I guess. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that there's definitely something more. I I do find I like how he described it as some type of tainted aura. So I don't know if they have the best intentions or not. I'm just picking picking out what I can.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, you do a good job of it
0: yeah i try um the other thing that i thought was really funny in this in this section was the captain i could just imagine him getting approached to this hole and he's just like when boshlin is asking if he understood what he was seeing and the captain's just like yeah i'm not a fool it's a fucking hole in the ground you know
1: (laughs) that was a good line for sure
0: and also when they were talking about how um the two travelers i guess you could call them Uh, visited the Azath House, which we knew was named the Finest. I don't know if that was named in Gardens of the Moon, but if it wasn't, this is the part where we get a name to it.
1: Yeah, I don't remember if it was specifically named or not, either.
0: I don't think so. But um, they were able to tell, because it could not be entered, but it seems to be occupied already. And like, Nam and Vorkan! Yeah! So.
1: (laughs) It'll uh, be... Uh, Interesting. I wonder if we'll get any
0: of that here. Yeah, it would be nice to see Relic come back in some way, shape, or form. I'm not exactly sure when or how. I mean, I can't even... I don't even have a left-field prediction for that. You know, I feel like they're probably traveling. Based on what we know about the Zath houses, right? Like, I know that it's, it's pretty young, this finished house, so I would imagine that... Things are under construction, so to speak. So maybe they don't really have anywhere to go in there, but maybe they're its guardian. I don't know. We'll have to Rafo read and find out. Definitely. Definitely, we'll have to Rafo. But yeah, I mean, outside of those things, I mean, it was a very straightforward section. Um, lots of good interaction between Gruntel and Boschelain. I like Gruntel's sarcasm. Boschelain seems to be, I wouldn't say condescending. <laughs> but he seems to be like direct in a way that maybe is, is oversimplified. If that makes sense.
1: he's kind of like, he's kind of cold. I felt like uh, cold and go. direct, I think direct was a good way to put it. You know, like he's not here to fuck around. He's just going to tell you what he's going to tell you.
0: Yeah. But I mean, I, I guess my big question with this whole section is why, why the hell does gruntle, why do they need gruntle to accompany them?
1: I, I mean, the only thing that makes sense to me so far is that they like that he thinks for himself. So he's maybe it's because he's not a yes man. Maybe. Um, he's familiar with the area. You know, like, they might see something and not recognize it as a danger, I guess. And he's going to be like, hold on, you dumbass. Don't step on that landmine. <laughs> <laughs> something, you know. Um, yeah. That's the only thing I can think of. Or maybe,
0: maybe it's just one of those things where, you know, they wanted a local's opinion on things because they're from out of town and they wanted somebody who isn't necessarily just a grunt but like you said thinks for themselves and and kind of can make educated opinions on things that they encounter or experience who really knows i mean i don't know if that's the answer is probably obvious and i'm just missing it but it just it kind of seemed like, hey, you're going to come with us. Okay. Hey, there's a hole. Well, I'm not fucking going in there. Peace. You know?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we're only one chapter in, so we can't be too hard on ourselves yet.
0: No, not at all. Not at all. But outside of that, I didn't have anything big to talk about with that particular that particular section. I thought it flowed really well. I enjoyed every every sentence or every word of it. It was... It was cool to get introduced to these characters kind of some basic interactions, but yeah. Right.
1: Um, well, I guess I'll take my last section here before your actual behemoth of one. Yep. Yep. The wolf circled the unconscious mortal keeping its only eye fixed on it. The Warren of chaos had few visitors of them. Humans were the rarest of all. The wolf had wandered this violent land for so long. The time could not be measured. Alone and lost for so long, its mind had reshaped itself. Very few would recognize the intelligence behind its feral look in its eyes, or eye, rather. But it was there all the same. The wolf continued to circle the human, continuing to keep its single eye focused on it. The wolf remembered almost nothing of what existed outside of chaos or the mortals who worshipped it as if it were a god. But some sort of knowledge had come to it. Instinctive sensitivity that told of possibilities and potential that now existed because of this mortal. Though the wolf was still hesitant, there were risks and decisions that left the wolf shaking. The wolf circled closer, lone eye fixed on the mortal's face. This was a gift. Nothing else could explain what it discovered on the mortal's face. A mirrored spirit in every way. This was not an opportunity to be missed. Still, the wolf hesitated, until a memory emerged in the mind's eye—a frozen image, faded with time, sufficient to close the spiral. And then it was done.
0: That was a good section.
1: It was. It was short, um, and I, I don't, I didn't really understand it the first time I read it. I don't think
0: I didn't either. It wasn't until I reread it that I'm like, okay, this makes a little more sense.
1: Um. Anyways, this I am pretty convinced this mortal is Talk as he was thrown into the Warren by asshole puppet and <laughs> um yeah, I'm glad we get to talk about that guy again. Um so this like it's got to be him. I mean, this wolf's got one eye. It looks at this guy's face. He's only got one eye like Talk. It's got to be Talk. And I think somehow this wolf is going to like, embed part of itself into talk or something. Like, he's gonna meld his consciousness. I, I don't know. It's like an Animorphs thing. But, <laughs> <So> like, a <laughs> I, reverse I don't know.
0: shapeshifter? Like a reverse uh, soul taken? Something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't really know how they're gonna work together or if it's something that'll be revealed later on. But, Like, I don't, I don't know who else it could be because I mean, the amount of time that talk is in this war and I guess is kind of unknown to us. And, and, and all that kind of comes up in your last section here. Um, all this other stuff happened, you know, in Deadhouse Gates and from when he was, when we left him in Gardens of the Moon. But I get the sense that time kind of like, you know, it says it's immeasurable in here. I mean, the wolf has been in here for so long, it's immeasurable. Uh, Time doesn't really matter. So all this other shit that we read happened, and it doesn't really matter. Um, what's happening right now matters. This wolf made contact with him. I, I don't know what's going to come of it, but there's going to be some sort of. I think there's going to be some sort of coexistence coming from it.
0: I get that sense too, and from what I understand, uh, you know, about the timeline, whether that was intended or not, but I would imagine that at this point in time, two months after the fete. That Kalam, Crocus, Absalar, and Moby haven't even reached seven cities yet. Because it took them about a year, from what I recall, to travel from Ganabacus to seven cities.
1: Right, so like the time, yeah, it doesn't really really matter. No,
0: not at all. Um, But I would imagine just from Toc's perspective, from what I I recall uh, of the events in Gardens of the Moon... Is that Toc was thrown into this Warren by asshole puppet. So I'd imagine it has to have been like at least at least six to eight weeks that he's been in this warren of chaos. Because I feel like that happened right before Reist was released.
1: But we don't really know when this is like picking up. So this could be like happening congruently with everything else that happened. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be after.
0: What makes you think it's
1: happening congruently? I don't what there's not anything telling us otherwise I mean there's a few things, not really while well, he's in this Warren. he's just no I mean I know yeah there's there's some stuff that comes up in your your last section, but yeah i I just i mean I don't the the amount of time that's passed, I don't think is super important, gotcha no, I mean it's that's all yeah,
0: I mean that makes sense, but yeah, no i going back to your original point. I definitely do think that uh, I would agree with I would agree with you that this wolf and talk have somehow uh, combined spirits, or you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I mean, there's maybe some overlap with this next section, but I mean, I guess it's not really that big of a deal. But I think that talk was in the Warren of Chaos, and in some way, shape, or form, the wolf got him out of the chaos warren i don't yeah. know if you agree or not but
1: i guess i don't know that i agree or disagree i guess i just kind of always felt like he was going to come out of it at some point so i don't know if the wolf had a part in it he could have and i guess to me just reading it that wasn't something i was hung up on you know that the wolf got him out or not um sure. i
0: just I but think I... the wolf and talk are supposed to help each other in some way And if the wolf wouldn't have let him out of the chaos, Warren, then vision that he had in his mind, eye, a memory, you know, a frozen image faded with time. So,
1: you know, to me, uh, that that passage there, the frozen image faded with time. uh, I thought that was relating to like all like the jagged ice disappearing. Very well could be melding, melding, whatever terminology you want to use. But
0: yeah. I think that at the end of the day, you and I can agree that uh, there's some type of connection here. What physically or the details of this connection are still kind of eluding us, but I think at the bare bones, there's some type of connection
1: there. 100%. 100%.
0: Cool. Well, it was a really cool passage. Like I said, uh, really mysterious, um, but, you know, cool nonetheless.
1: Yeah, for sure. It It was pretty cool. And then you get boned with this massive thing here.
0: Yep, yep. Um, So let me go ahead and uh, we'll get started on the last section here. I feel like this episode is going by really quick. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, but (laughs) I know what you mean. Yeah. His single functioning eye opened to see a pale blue sky. The scar tissue over his eye tingled with a maddening itch. Beneath him, hard stones and rocks dug into his back. He laid unmoving, trying to recall what had happened. He was flung into the warren, a sense of unease which he shared with his companion before being enveloped by the warren, Gano's param. He groaned and cursed the asshole puppet, hairlock in his mind. His memory returned in a surge of fear. He rolled over and thought that this wasn't the Rivi Plain. A field of broken black glass stretched on all sides. Off to his left, a few hundred paces away, was a low mound. His throat was raw, and his eyes stung. Coughing, talk ta- sat up. He saw his bow beside him and reached for it. It was apparent to him that his horse hadn't followed, and he was left with nothing besides the bow and his knife he had in his belt. He had, flung, he had been flung into the warrant, and somehow time had been lost within it. Observing his string on his bow and how damaged it had been, he estimated that days, even weeks, had passed, even though his body told him otherwise. He climbed to his feet and wondered if he was still within the warren or did it spit him back out. He began walking towards the lone mound that broke the monotony of its surroundings. As he arrived, he saw the rest evenly spaced out around the rest of the barrows. Evenly spaced out around him at the center, a larger one. Tox skirted around the first barrow and noted that it was holed, likely by looters. He paused for a moment to observe the depth of the hole. He decided that he didn't like it, and as the mounds themselves must have been a huge dome underneath. He paused to consider the unfortunate events that got him here. The deathly rain of moonspawn to mark some kind of beginning. Fire and pain, the death of an eye. The kiss that left a savagely disfigured scar. A ride north on the plain to retrieve adject Lorne. A skirmish with Bargast. Back in Pale, Lorne revived his old role as claw courier. Inside his mind he tells himself to be honest. It wasn't really a courier, it was more like a spy. There had been trouble in Pale, Tattersail, and then Captain Peran. A flight and pursuit. He muttered to himself that this was just a fucking mess. Hairlock's ambush had squatted him into a warren. Inside his mind, he thought to himself that he lingered there, or so he thought. He snaps himself from the thought and starts to tell himself to think like a soldier again in this unwelcome land he was in. He resumed his trek to the center barrel. He coughed as he scrambled up the side. Once he was on top and had a good vantage point, he observed his surroundings and was able to distinguish. A ruined tower to his left. The sky beyond glowed a sickly red. He gazed at the welt, and his eyes started to itch. He thought to himself that this was sorcery, and he was beginning to hate it. He began to notice details of the barrow he stood on. The, ca- the crater, he realized, was not the work of looters. Whatever had made it pushed up from the tomb, and violently. A moment of nervousness shook him before he told himself to shake it off. He recalls the Talanimas, who had joined up with Lorne, and how it had split a Bargast like a rivy Plains boar. Still studying the barrow, his thoughts remained on Lorne and Tool, and he wondered if they had succeeded in releasing the jag hut from his barrow. He shivered at a thought about what was potentially released from the tomb, how desperate the mind would be at freedom. He would have guessed that the creature released from the barrow would likely be around. Thanks. There was no telling how much time had passed, but Toc's gut told him it had been years, even decades. Leaving the barrel, he headed to the ruined tower. About 40 paces from the tower, he nearly tripped over a corpse. He scowled down at the figure and asked what it was doing there. The Talani mass said that he was waiting. Toc remembered the mass's name and spoke that name. The Talan said that he no longer goes by that name, and it is Tool now, as he is clanless and free. Inside Tok's mind, he wonders what Tool had meant by free. Free to do what? Lay around in wastelands? Tok asked Tool what happened to Warren and where they were. Tool responded by saying that they were lost. Tok asked which question that was an answer to. Tool said that it was both. Tok, feeling frustrated, wanted to kick the shit out of the Talan just lying there. Instead, he asked if he could be more specific. Tool answered and said that Lorne had died in Jerujistan two months prior, and that and that they are in a place called Morn, 200 leagues to the south from Jerujistan. Tak found himself not wanting to talk with creatures that have lived over hundreds of thousands of years. He had to remind himself that as much as he wanted to be sarcastic, he had to be serious. He then decided to ask Toole if they were successful in releasing the Jaghut Tyrant. Tool said briefly, the Imperial effort to conquer Jerujistan had failed. Tak crossed his arms and said that Tool was has had been waiting, but waiting for what? Tool replied that she has been away a long time, but now she returns. Tak then asked who has been away a long time. Tool replied that she has taken occupa- occupation of the tower. Tak, getting tempted to kick the corpse again, asked if Tool could at least stand while talking to him. Tool arose with an array of creaking bones. Tak gets lost in thoughts about the Talan and how the Emperor loved them. They didn't need to be fed. They could move and go anywhere and do literally anything. Talk, after his thoughts, told Tool that he needed water and food. They both stared at each other for a while. He removed his helmet and asked if they could wait in the tower because the heat was baking his brain. Tak then begins to think of why he's asking Tool as if the Talan could help. Tool answers him and tells him where he can find food. Not so much water, though. He goes on to explain that there are plenty of raw materials to repair his bow and to make arrows. Tok tells Tool that he has no idea how to make them, and Tool will have to show him how to. Tool explains that he certainly could, as he still remembers how to use his skills. Tok takes a moment to properly introduce himself, as Lorne never really did. Tool then asks if he was employed with the claw. Toc explains that he was without the assassin training nor the majory. He adds that he's renounced that role and he's seeking to, all he's seeking to do is rejoin One Arms Host. Tool said that this was a long journey. Toc figured as much, and the sooner he began, the better. He asked how far this glass wasteland stretched. Tool responded that it was seven leagues, and then beyond that was the Lomatoth Plain. Tak wonders if this would lead him to Darugestan. He asked if Dujek had besieged the city. Tool simply said no, turned his head and said, she comes. Tak followed Tool's gaze and saw three figures heading their direction from the south. Of the three, only the middle one walked upright. Flanking her on both sides were two dogs. One of them appeared slightly wolfish. Since Tool and Tak stood out in the open, it was unlikely that they had gone unnoticed. The three did not change their pace as they approached. At a dozen paces, the wolfish dog loped to Tool with its tail wagging. Toc asked if the wolfish dog was an old friend, or if it wanted Tool to toss one of the Talan's bones. Tool did not reply, but just remained silent. Toc wondered to himself if he had offended Tool, and said that he was just joking about the bone comment. Tool said that he was just considering, and explained that the wolfish dog... Was called an A, an I, and they actually don't like bones, but prefer warm flesh. Toc grunted and said, I see. Tool then responded by saying, It was just me being humorous. Tool rested his hand on the eye's head, and the eye went still. Tool started to answer Toc's questions from earlier about being an old friend. He explains that they adopted these animals into their tribe. It was that or see them starve as the Talan were the reason for their starvation. Tak asks why they were responsible, like as an overhunting? He was under the assumption that the Talan were one with nature, with their spirits and rituals. Tool interrupted Tak and asks if Tak mocked him or Tak's own ignorance. To explain that not even the Lichen are at peace. All is a struggle. All is a war of dominance. Those who van- Those who lose vanish talk started to say that they were no different when Tool interrupted him again and explained that they are different as they have the choice and the gift of foresight. Though too often we come too late in acknowledging these responsibilities. The woman's voice could be heard saying that Baljag wants the Amasa's command, awaits the Amasa's command. She said that this was sweet and told the other dog, Garath, to greet the Talan. She met Tak's gaze and smiled, and said that Garath, however, would find fun in burying the Talani mass. Tak agreed and said that she spoke Daru, but wore the Talaba of seven cities. The woman had her own sarcastic comment in response to the statement about Tak himself. Tak, a little bit uncomfortable, introduces himself and Tool. The woman said that this was nice, and said that it was hot out here, and they should seek shelter in the tower. She told Garath to stop sniffing the undead soldier and told him to awaken the servants. Tak watched as the dog trotted toward the tower. He said out loud that the tower doesn't look very habitable. The woman said that appearances deceive, flashing him a grin. Tak asked if she had a name. Tool answered on her behalf and said that her name was Lady Envy, and she was the daughter of Draconis, who had forged the sword Dragnapur and was slain by its present wielder, Anamander Rake. Draconis had two daughters, and he named them Envy and Spite. In disbelief, Toc was in dis- disbelief as Tool couldn't be serious. Lady Envy could be telling could be heard telling Tool if they had met before, and she assumed that she couldn't be recognized but Talan by the Talani Mass, as she's only met them twice. Tool gazed at her and said that knowing her did not answer the mystery as to why she had residency here in Morn, and he knows that what she seeks in this place. Mockingly, Lady Envy asked what he meant. As they approached the tower entrance, a leathered, armored, masked figure appeared in the doorway. Tox stopped in his tracks and explained that her servant was a Segula. Lady Envy seemed surprised by Tok's naming, as she didn't know that this is what they were called. She explains explains briefly how they became her servants, and this one's name was Sanu. She asked Sanu if his brothers had awakened. Sanu nodded, and Envy told Tak that she found that they protested little and did not speak a lot. Tak asked Envy if Sanu was the only one that spoke with her. Envy recalled that, yeah, that, that was correct, and asked Tak if this was, had any significance. Tak explained that the Segula hierarchy and it was likely the other two only spoke to non-Segula. Tak said that he had never met one, but had heard plenty of stories. Envy asked Sanu to lead them in, but the Sagula's eyes were staring at Tool. With Hackle rising, the eye gave the two figures some space. Tak whispered that he thought Sanu was challenging Tool. Envy asked why he would do that. Tak explained that hierarchy is everything, and if it's in doubt, they don't waste any time. Lady Envy told Senu to behave and gesture him into the room beyond. The Segula stepped back, but then hesitated before turning and leading the others into the tower. They walked until they reached a room with a round table and a varying array of foods on it. The dog Garath sat nearby. Senu, Senu's two companions stood around the table in silence. One of them stiffened upon seeing Tool and took one step forward. Lady Envy squashed this in a heartbeat and said that there will be no more challenging. Satisfied, she turned to Tak and told him to help himself to quench his hunger and his thirst. Tak found himself staring at one of the Sagula. Lady Envy said that this wasn't wise if a fixed stare represented a challenge. Tak was surprised and said that he had never heard of Tak never finished his sentence and proceeded towards the table and reached for a jug. Movement exploded behind him as a body skidded across the floor and struck the wall. Tak spun to see Tool with sword in hand facing the remaining two Segula. Sanu lay unconscious ten paces away. Lady Envy told the other two Segula that since her commands were ignored, she had no choice but to let the Talani mass defend himself. She turned to Tool and asked if Sanu was dead. To explain that he used the flat of his blade and he had no desire to slay her servants. Toc took the moment to ask Lady Envy if she'd like him to pour her a drink. She said that this would be a nice gesture, and it's up to them to show some civility. Tool addressed her and asked what she had uncovered about the rent. She explained that it had been bridged by a mortal soul. She said that the focus of her studies was not on that particular piece, but rather that the warren was, or what the warren was made of, as it's like any other. And it seems rather mechanical. Tool asked if she had examined Kachain Chamali tombs. She said that she had, but only briefly, as they are all empty and probably have been for decades. Tool said, only for decades? Envy goes on to explain that the matron experiences difficulty freeing herself from the constraint, then spent some time recovering from her ordeal before releasing her children. She said that the matron had spent time in a buried city to the northwest, but left things incomplete as the results were not what she wanted, then left the area completely. Envy paused and then continued on to say that she suspects that the matron was the original soul sealing the rent. Another creature resides there now. Tool nodded. talk while eating and drinking, had tried to pay attention to the conversation, but was left with a headache at trying to understand it all. talk said that he needed to head north and asked Lady Envy if she could supply him with things for his journey. He would be forever in her debt. She told talk to be careful of what he offered. She asked if the names that Tool had spoken about on their walk to the tower meant anything to the to him. Tak shrugged and said that he could guess that Animander killing her father would hold some bad blood. But Rake was an enemy of the Empire, so therefore they shared in their enemies. Lady Envy said that while there was a need to be allies, what he had said was incorrect. She went on to explain that the food and water she could she could supply him, but she didn't have any weapons. She said in return, one day she'll call on him for a favor. Something small and relatively painless. Could Tok accept something like this? Tak then suddenly lost his appetite, and then said that she had him at a disadvantage. She just smiled. Inside his head, he was thinking about more intimate possibilities, and cursed himself for using the wrong head, blushing as he reached for the cup, and then said that yes, he could agree to those terms. Lady Envy compliments him on his composure, and Tak almost choked on his wine. Inside Tuck's head, he wondered if that was her attempt at a flirt. Tool spoke and told Envy that if she intended to find answers about the rent, she wouldn't find it here. Lady Envy asked him to explain. Tool said that he follows an ancient trail. And Morn was just but one stop on that trail. And that trail leads Northwestern. She would find those answers amongst those Tool seeks as well. Lady Envy asked if Tool wanted her to accompany him. Tool said that he cares not for, not either way. However, if she were to stay here meddling with the rent, that is a risk itself. Tool also added that her own traveling companions are converging at the same destination. The Pan and Domin, both Rake and Brood, prepare to wage war against Domen. Tool asked why that wouldn't make her curious. Envy accused Tool that he was no ordinary mass. Talk, barely able to hold his amusement, interjected that Tool had her at an advantage, disadvantage. Envy snapped at him, saying that his comments were irrelevant, and she found it unattractive. Talk at that moment, in his mind, wanted to get on his knees and beg for forgiveness. He ended up shrugging that notion down and simply said, Badly stung, I think. Her expression softened, and she said that she didn't mean to sting him, and that she apologized. She turned to Tool and said that they shall undergo a journey. She told her Sagula to prepare. Tool turned to Talk and said that they were they will make arrows along the way. Talk said that he would enjoy seeing Tool craft these as it could come in handy for him. They all turned as a loud grunt was heard. As Sanu awoke from being unconscious, Lady Envy brushed close to Talk as she moved towards the doorway, giving him a glance as she said that she was looking forward to this journey. Tuck wasn't sure if he should be pleased or terrified by this.
1: nice job, man. Thanks, dude. Uh, um, I feel like a jackass. Um, I'm gonna nit. I'm gonna nitpick you on one thing.
0: Sounds good. Do it. Uh,
1: uh, and I feel like this is like a first because honestly, like I never nitpick you. This whole thing you did phenomenal with, um, and you're gonna be like Derek. You're such a fucking prick for saying this. Um, you spelt Segula wrong. Oh, did I? You did. <laughs> it's it's L-E-H, not L-A-H. So, it, like, in my mind, I pronounced it Segula, not Segula. Cool.
0: Um, You're a fucking asshole. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. And also, uh, with that, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but when I read it, when they're talking about, like, the hierarchy thing, um, Senu, I thought... He was like the lowest ranking one, so he was the only one that talked to Nan Segula. Maybe I misinterpreted. It. That's how I took it when I read it. I'd have to look at it again, but because hmm. um, the other two didn't talk to her, right? So I thought that meant that they were like, you know, they're they're above it. We're gonna leave. You know, this this peasant over here, he can talk to this this lady.
0: Maybe, yeah, you you might be right. I I'm not gonna. I'm not like- gonna- I struggled with this section just from how dense lot there. it is with the conversation. So I very well could have mixed those up.
1: But that's kind of the the beauty of us both doing this, right? Like right. We see yeah. different things. So I, it, I guess somebody, somebody more versed, I guess, can correct us here. Um, and it's not a huge sticking point. I don't think either of us are going to take a pie on it. Um, just telling you how I felt about it. That's yeah.
0: All. No, I'm definitely. I've learned my lesson about taking a. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's always going to be the. Uh, that's going to be the phrase, though. Like, right? Like, <laughs> not going to take
0: a pie
1: on it. Yeah, we're, we're not going to take a pie on it.
0: Look what we started. Look what we started. Hopefully, hopefully, it becomes a thing in the Malazan community. You know, where maybe <laughs> we start to see it in discussions, like i don't know if i'll take a pie for it but you know it <laughs> would just be, be cool um the one thing that i want to point out and i know that in the first time i read this i thought they were talking about raist, but then i had to recall the fact that they were very south of the godroby hills and they're in morn which is where our prologue some of our prologue takes place and you remember how Pran, Cole, and Lativa, I think was her name, the female Bonecaster, were talking about what had what had been released when she put the two Jacob children inside of the rent? Yeah. And they were all like, well, we've got plenty of time to worry about it. I think that what talk is now standing on is whatever creature was released, it's Barrow, that came out violently, pushed up from the tomb, and violently. At first I thought they were talking about Raist,
1: but well, I know we had talked about that through text and I was kind of confused as far as like what you're talking about because it just wasn't it's hard to convey some of the stuff over text message, right? Right. Um so was, Without I summer. was kind of like yeah, <laughs> so I was like what like eventually I got there. I'm like, "Oh, okay, like I know what you're talking about. Like, yeah, I agree with you." Okay. But at the time I was like, "I don't know what the hell you're like trying to tell me, Justin." Right. Well,
0: even, even then, it's like later on, he's talking about there was no telling how much time had passed. And at first, on the first reroute, I thought he was talking about himself and the Warren. But he's talking about there was no way of telling how much time had passed since this creature broke out of his barrel. And that Scott th- told him it had been years, even decades. So. Well,
1: I guess that's where my mind went, too, was... Th- the first thing he said, you know, he didn't know how much time had passed when he was in the war. And I didn't even think about, I know they, they talk about, yeah, that, you know, it had been maybe decades, but they must've thought it should have been longer or something.
0: right? Well, I just kind of wonder if this was something that like Pran Cole just forgot about, you know, um, being that so much time had passed, you know, or if maybe there was an attempt to come back at that moment that this creature from, this exchange in the prologue, uh you know, if he comes back and confronts it, or you know what's going on there, so right it's really cool to have things tie back to the prologue right away. I don't think we've really necessarily had that in the other two books,
1: like um, the, i mean I mean we kind of always have fellas in in the, the prologue there i mean it's it's not the same as this for sure,
0: yeah, it's like almost a continuation, but just like. 200,000 years later. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The other thing that I thought was really cool and just something I never really thought of about the Talani mask before, even though it's just like, you know, hit me right in the face is when talk kind of gets lost in thought about the Talan during the section, kind of when tool tool rises, or he's having this conversation with tool um, how much the emperor loved them. And the fact that like they didn't need to be fed, they could move and go anywhere and do anything. Like, from like a military perspective, that's fucking genius. Like, those are like the perfect soldiers. You don't have to feed them. You don't have to, you know, give them water. And it was just it's funny. I mean, like, again, it's so obvious, right? Like, anyone's gonna be like, Dodge, and you fucking dumbass. But it's just one of those things where like I never really thought about it that in-depthly. Like to me, they're just, you know, skeleton soldiers.
1: Everybody needs skeleton soldiers.
0: Mm-hmm. Another thing that I thought was really cool was just I can't I, I forgot how much I missed Tool uh um, as a character. And he just seems like so abstractly wise. And in his conversation when he's talking to talk about you know, how they're responsible for the eye and overhunting them. Kind of, you know, another little nod to the prologue, right? And I really liked what Tool had to say in this. And he describes it as Lichen, not even the Lichen are at peace. All is a struggle, all is a war of dominance. Those who lose vanish. And I like this. And it was honestly, it was the word Lichen. Uh, that stood out to me. So I'm like, okay, what exactly is lichen? Like, I've heard of it, but what exactly is it? It's, it's like a, moss. It's a combination of fungus and algae that are symbiotic, even though the fungus is more the dominant of the two. And I kind of feel like this is referring to animals in general and the throwback to the eye in the prologue that we're stuck in the mud. It's a good call. Like that circle of life type theme, you know? Whereas like talk is just like, well, we're no different. And then tools like, yeah, man, 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 you're a dumbass. They are because we have a choice and the gift of foresight. You know, the eye are just trying to survive, right? One hour, make it to the next hour. Right. Also, I could have sworn and I know that we like texted each other about this, but we get confirmation that Anna Manor Rake is the present wielder of Dragnapur. And from what we know about the prologue is that anybody who holds it has to defeat the present wielder, right? So
1: yeah, i was I was wondering, I wonder if we're thinking the same thing, like two hat did did it go pass from Draconis to rake? or was there somebody in between there?
0: I want to say that rake, I wouldn't say killed because I think um in Gardens of the Moon when Haran was inside the sword, there was a a hooded figure that didn't know how long he had been there. And I'm wondering if that was Draconis himself. I bet it probably was. I mean, I feel like just the level of mystery around that particular character, uh, I mean, my gut is telling me that that has to be Draconis. Um, As well as, and I forget the curses that Kalor gave him, but I think that was one of his curses, is that he would be defeated with his own
1: sword. I think that was the only curse that Draponis had.
0: Yeah, so um, I feel like those two things are kind of making sense to me, Uh, and I just, it's really cool how we're, you know, we're only at chapter one of Memories of Ice, and there's already so many nods to Gardens of the Moon, and I know that this is, again, supposed to be those same characters that timeline but you know after taking a break from gardens of the moon with reading Deadhouse gates with a whole new set of characters it's really nice to kind of be thrown these like little bones and and little tidbits of things but yet still still kind of making intriguing theories and connections and stuff like that right another thing that i thought was really funny and this is kind of towards the end of the chapter or end of the section is (laughs) the whole comment about uh if uh when lady envy asks talk if if she could do him a favor for supplying him with stuff and he's he's thinking with his dick uh if she could <laughs> ask him if he could agree to a favor like he's just like yeah let's have sex you know um so i just thought that that was really funny i thought that was a good a good moment of humor to kind of break up the monotony of of this conversation.
1: I think, you know, and then they circle back around to it where she says, oh, it'll be something small and relatively painless. I feel like that's foreshadowing Talk's death.
0: Think so? You think Talk kind of is going to die? Way.
1: Maybe. Hmm. I feel like dying is relatively painless. I mean, done cor- correctly or, you know, in a non brutalized way.
0: Yeah, sure. Fair enough. Um, so. This whole I, I think that it's it's interesting that Lady Envy is occupying this tower because she's like studying the rent, right? And she says that it's unfamiliar or you know, unknown or um unlike any other Warren. And then she says that it almost seems mechanical. Did that remind you of anybody? No. I, well, Icarium is the maker of what?
1: Time not not time machines but things that measure time
0: or like mechanical things right hmm. devices pertaining to time so i don't know i mean i know i said it in the prologue but you know i have a feeling that this potentially may have to do with something with the carium story hmm. i could very well be wrong but it's just as good as,
1: your guess is better than mine yeah i didn't have a guess fair enough that would be very interesting
0: yeah but also, like, even, even with Lady Envy's uh, conversation around the matron, you know, and, you know, something to do with uh, a buried city to the northwest of Morn, and she was just satisfied with the progress there, so she just left and abandoned. And how Lady Envy uh, thinks that this is the original soul that sealed the rent. I think
1: think Lady Envy will be an interesting character.
0: I think so, too. And I don't know if you catch it, and we'll we'll get to there. But my other question is, is Tool, right, is saying that he's following an ancient trail, and Morn was but one stop on that trail, and that trail leads Northwestern. So I think that it sounds to me like they're looking for the same thing. And also... Were there hints of Tool's Quest in Gardens of the Moon? I find I it. I don't really... remember. Okay, because I find it odd that he was just laying on the ground somewhere south of Jerujistan. After what I'm assuming, he battled Reist, right?
1: But he said he wasn't going to interfere with that. Did he still end up fighting him, though? I don't remember. He did, yeah. Um, I thought he was looking for his sister. Like That was what he's, the thing is that he's searching for.
0: Oh, no, I think he was waiting for Lady Envy.
1: But he said Morn was one step on his journey or whatever i think his journey is trying to track down his sister
0: Ooh, you're fucking right so the matron is probably her sister his sister so i wonder if fran Cole made her go into the runs into the rent in exchange for the two jagged children
1: i don't know Well, i guess i didn't i felt like it's something that's something else separate is what i thought
0: oh you don't think they're
1: connected but i mean no, because I, cause I don't think she went in. I don't think she went into the...
0: I mean, she didn't seem like she was, you know, she was hell-bent against going through their, their ritual.
1: But it's, it's, she didn't seem excited about going in, in there to trade places with the kids.
0: No, but I feel like Pran... I feel like Pran kind of made her do it.
1: Then, then his Tox Tools journey would end here. No, because I'm assuming that her sister
0: was released somehow.
1: I think whatever was in there was released. The kids are still in there. Sister took off wherever else. Yeah. South West. That sounds we'll are, see. you're probably right. We'll, we'll have to see. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, that, 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 <laughs> that could be the pipette, Justin. Nope nope nope, <laughs> nope, 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 <laughs> nope, Not at all. No. Nope. Learned my lesson. I, I I'd be I'd be willing to go in on, on that one.
0: Uh, nope, I'm good. I'm going to say no. I will All right. decline. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. But I mean, <laughs> God damn it. Watch it. I'm going to end up being right. And, <laughs> you just never know until you read it. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. But Erickson yeah. does like to keep it mysterious. So, yep. you know, we could both be fucking wrong and we both take pies. But no, that's I. True. I'm good. I think I'll pass on this one.
1: All right. I just wanted to offer it out there for
0: you. No, it's okay. It's okay. Maybe I'll get more ballsy in House of Chains, but I think I think I've learned my lesson for now. All right. Um. But I mean, so do you so you're you're saying that you don't think that they're looking for the same
1: thing? I mean, I guess they could be. Because otherwise, think- why would she? Just-
0: I think she, I think Tool is looking. Yeah, I would agree that it's probably his sister. And I think that uh, along the way, because the rent and her sis- and his sister share some type of connection. What specifically that is, who knows? But Lady Envy would also get her answers there. Um, also, I thought it was interesting how Tool added that her old traveling companions are essentially converging in the same direction
1: so then they talk about anamander rake and Caladan brood but i was my mind went to cruel and draconis but we know draconis can't be converging anywhere because he's stuck in a sword or right. well yeah yeah he's in he's in the sword um but that's that's where my mind went i don't know what what you thought i guess initially
0: well so what i what i got was that her old traveling companions, and it says the Pan and Domain. So I think that Lady Envy used to, or is still in cahoots with the and Domain. And so since her old traveling companions are heading northwest, potentially for the same reason, or reasons unknown, knowing that the Panin Domain is in opposition of Rake and Brood, that would be an ideal time for Lady Envy to maybe get some revenge.
1: She seems a little too, like, whimsical, I feel like, to be looking for revenge. She's fast and loose. She's, she's something, for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what to make of her yet.
0: I don't really know either, but she's definitely got talk with his panties in a bunch. Like, she seems to be flirting with him, but at the same time maybe not flirting with him and that's maybe just because we're getting talks perspective, you know, but at the end there, she brushes by him as she like moves towards the doorway. And I think there is a a little bit of a, like a teasy intent here. And also it's really weird to see talk so dumb around women before. I mean, he didn't act like this (laughs) around adjunct Lauren, or even Tattersail, right? And I kind of wonder if maybe she's glamoring him like Pearl did to Kalam in Deadhouse Gates.
1: I don't know, ma'am. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry. No, that's cool. Um, those were really the only things that I picked out. I, again, it was a a very dialogue-heavy section, and I left a lot of the deeper conversation uh, conversations out of the summary um i didn't do a lot of summarizing of his thoughts uh especially on the ones that i didn't think were relevant to the summary itself but this last section was Mm -hmm. definitely very heavy with a lot of themes lots of really small stuff to pick out um but i think i think that i understand it you know i think i get what is being put down so
1: yeah, you you had a lot there, um, and yeah, it's it's hard to you know pick what you want to include and what you're gonna you know leave out. But I think you did a good job with it. Um, the only other thing I would add, and again, it's just a dumb left field thing, the Segula. Like I envisioned them as like shy guys from Mario. Yep,
0: yep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like that's what I thought of. I don't know why. Just dumb shit like that. I don't know.
0: Seem very interesting and I'm curious to see if Lady Envy when she means to you know, when she tells them to prepare their stuff, if that means they're joining them or if they're just gonna stay in this tower.
1: I don't yeah, I don't I don't know. I guess I mean we can we can read another chapter here and see what we find out. I did look, it's about twenty four pages, so also, one thing I wanted to bitch about, even in Deadhouse Gates and out of this book, I don't think it was this way in Gardens of the Moon, but I, I I don't know how you feel about it, but like the chapter ending in like the middle of the page or like a quarter of the way of the page down and the next chapter just starting right there bothers me.
0: Eh, it doesn't bother me too much. I just, I don't like it. I don't know I, why. Uh, so, the, you know, I work with a couple of librarians. Ever since we started this podcasting journey... Every book I bring in, or you know, basically only two now in the last year and a half. I've had the my librarian take a look at it. And, you know, she just likes to like look at the the cover art and stuff. And she was there today and I'm like, look, I've started a new book. Oh, you know that dude <laughs> and she opened it up and she's like, Holy fuck is this print small? And I'm like, Yep. Uh,
1: yeah. It is. So I don't yeah. know
0: if that's just one of those things where like when they did it, how many pages it would have added if they did it in normal font or, you know, in the font from the previous two books?
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely noticeably smaller.
0: Yeah, for sure. I guess, speaking of the next chapter, you got any predictions?
1: I I don't yet, because obviously, like, we haven't been introduced to everybody that's going to be in this book. So I, (coughs) excuse me, I don't know, like, I assume we're going to see some different characters whether it's characters that we had in Gardens of the Moon or, you know, more new characters, I don't know. Or maybe it'll be a mix. That's about the only prediction I've got, I guess.
0: I would agree. I'm hoping hoping for the characters we're already familiar with, it'd be nice to kind of pick up where they've left off.
1: Yeah. Well, should we wrap this up? This seems like kind of a shorter one for us.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've been talking for two hours, though. So it's probably on par with... Our normal episodes, about an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes. True. So, yeah, I think we did it justice. I think we did a good job. Um, It's nice to start a book.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, something I forgot to mention at the beginning of this is that this is our 70th episode we're recording. Um, I guess I don't necessarily know if it'll be the 70th episode release, just depending on how you uh, decide to do, you know, the curse episodes and and how we want to do that. Um, but yeah, speaking of curse of the fallen, like, you know, if, if you've enjoyed these Malazan books, um, check out HC's book. Uh, we have a lot of fun doing those episodes for one and the book's been really good too. I mean, it's been like nonstop, a nonstop thrill ride so far. So, um, I know we'll have to get back to that at some point here and and try to balance that with with this book so um yeah check check it out um actually i think she's got a deal going right now where you can get each book for 99 cents i assume that's digital um if that's your thing so we have a lot of fun recording with hc every time we we do that book it's it's a lot of fun and i think it comes across that way um you get some some different insight into the book Having the author there, getting some behind-the-scenes footage, so to speak. Um, and she's just a nice person all around to take the time to do this with us. So uh, we definitely want to support her in her writing endeavors. So if you haven't, checked out her book. I know some some of our listeners and followers have, and and I think the reception has been good. Um, and along with that, I guess, uh, you know, if you want to give us a rating and a review, um We're not asking for five stars. Just be fair with what you really think. Haven't asked for emails or anything like that in a while. So feel free to shoot us a message. Give us some feedback. Good, bad, whatever. Um, Just get it to us because we'll, at minimum, we're going to respond to it. And I think we try to take everything at face value. Uh, We want to do a good job. We want to get better, improve on things. So if there's something you think we can do better, let us know because it may not be apparent to us
0: yeah absolutely also please do us a favor and like and subscribe our youtube channel
1: there you go i always forget about that so yeah check us out there um it, you know i've i know a lot of people use it for that i don't i mean i I listen in the car um but i guess if you're on the house throw it on the tv whatever whatever you what have you
0: but uh yeah check us out yeah it would be really cool to get to 500 subscribers and hopefully have meet some of those very strict requirements that YouTube has of content creators. And I know we'll get there. I feel like we gain probably about 70 ish subscribers per book. So time will only tell, which is great. Um, I think the think that we're, we're producing really good stuff, I feel like we found our niche, we found our, our flow, and um, it's just crazy to think about like where we are now as to where we are when we began this like just all of our muttering and stuttering and ums and, uhs <laughs> and
1: uh. i'm sure we still have that shit but it's it's gotten to be more natural now just talking like this and and the i, I don't know about for you I, it, it might be different i guess since i right. handle like the twitter side of things but just like the friends that we've made doing this uh it, it's a blast and and I, I love it
0: yeah it's um i know that we have a while before it ends I'm not looking forward to that when we've completed our Malazan journey, Malazan
1: journey. We'll just do something different.
0: Yeah. Get into the books that are on our um, TBR shelf.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I might have to get to some of them before then, but uh, we'll find something.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it's one of those things where we switch it up and I read a book and then we read it together and... I mean, I don't know. I I, don't, I guess now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know how fun that would be.
1: I, I it is. I I think you must feel the same way. It is. It is fun going through this journey together, both of us not knowing. Uh, and I know, like Nate, he's read this series multiple times, and he's doing it with his buddy that hasn't read it. Um, and they, if you haven't listened to him, they have a great time doing it. Uh, this just works for us. So that that's that's the only difference. It it works for us and. it's nothing against anybody else doing things their way because it works for them so
0: yeah absolutely yeah i think i think the content is fresh especially because 90 percent of the shit we're wrong on and take pies for um but yeah well
1: i think i might try to read this chapter tonight i don't know about you
0: oh i'm sure i'll get it in because i'm anxious and then that way i can take it to work and read it again and then somewhere <laughs> and then read it again oh <laughs> uh, yeah well right, sir. Man.
1: as always have a good rest of your tuesday night when what t- it's tuesday i don't I mean, even know
0: it's Wednes. it's tuesday yeah you're right yeah it is tuesday
1: so yeah. but
0: yeah dude we'll do you as well all right we'll talk to you later all right later man
1: see you bye bye Mm-hmm. <laughs> the air jerseys are big
0: C and quest. CMJ's Epic a quest.